Now today I want to touch on something that, that probably needs more time to unpack. Because I'm going to throw a bunch of scriptures at you this morning. Well, probably not a lot, but four or five. If you know me, I usually use one or two scriptures and I preach on that. And I want to keep it simplistic because I, I believe there's power in simplicity. Because the, the scriptures are so simplistic and so powerful. So I'm going to use a couple of scriptures and I'm going to, I'm going to piggyback on what we've done in the last couple of weeks. Now, if you, if you haven't been here, we've, we've, um, we've took three, three weeks and we looked at the book of Ephesians. And we as a church read through Ephesians together for three weeks. Every day read through the whole book. And by the second week, you start seeing things that you haven't seen. And you start seeing things in, about Paul's ministry that you've never seen. And just the whole person of who Paul the Apostle was through that book really intrigued me again. I just was like, man, I love how Paul just do things. Who Paul is, who Paul the Apostle is. And um, so I want to look at, at that a bit more today. So, but before I want to go there, I want to start out with a question. Is that okay? Now the question is, if you had the opportunity to spend one hour with the wisest person on earth, what would you ask them? Think about it. What wisdom would you tap from them? It's a good question, is it? Maybe, I, I think 80% of people would ask the following, said, why did you, what did you do to become so wise? It's maybe a good question to ask. What did you do? Or maybe, how, did, how can I become wise like you? That's maybe a good question. Because everybody on earth has a, a passion and a drive to become better. Am I right? My question probably would be, uh, who decided you were the wisest on earth? <laughs> that will probably be my question. But I read a story this week about a young, on fire, vibrant, bold young man in the city. And he heard about the wisest men, a man in the city, and he went to him. Knocked on his door and he said, listen, sir. How can I have more knowledge? An old man looked at him and he went to say, walk with me. And they walked all through the streets of the city, all the way to the ocean, into the sea, into the waves, until they were up to their shoulders, into the ocean. And he looked at the young man, that the wise old man turned to the young man and said, what do you want? And the young man excitedly smiled at him and said, I want to be wise like you. So he took his two hands, the old man, and he pushed the young man underneath the water. And he kept him there, kept him there for 10, 20, 30 seconds, and he let him come up. And the guy was like, opened his eyes, and he was getting the water out of his face. And the old man said, what do you want? And he smiled again and said, I want to have knowledge to be wise. And he took his hands again, he pushed him under the water and he kept him for 20, 30, now 40 seconds and he brought him up and the guy came up like, <laughs> I said, what do you want young man? And he said, I want to be wise like you. And again he took his hands and he pushed him down, this time keeping him for 40, 50, 60 seconds and afterwards he brought him up and the guy's like, gasp, gasp for air and immediately said, air, air, I want air, please. And the old man said, like, when you want knowledge as much as you wanted air right now, you'll have knowledge. And, and I thought, well, okay, this is an old myth, a philosophical myth, but it's so true. How much do we want more of God? 
How much do we want more of Him? More of your relationship with Him? More of your devotional time? Lord, I want to have more revelation when I read my Bible. I want more of your presence when we're in worship. How many of you have asked that question? You see, I've preached a sermon and it's part of our values of, of really hunger to hunger for, for, for God. How hungry are you for more of Him? How hungry are you for more to encounter Him in a different, deeper way? Now let me go back to Paul and I'm, I'm going to give you a backdrop before I, before I uh, go into the scripture this morning. Now we've, we spoke about Paul for the last couple of weeks and but if you know Paul before he became Paul, he was Saul of Tarsus. His name was Saul before he became Paul. Now Saul was probably one of the most wisest young men in Jerusalem on his time. He grew up in Rome, he was a Roman citizen, um, so his passport said Roman. That actually saved his life later on his missionary journeys for a, for a longer time. But he, his family moved to Jerusalem where he started studying the scriptures with one of the most famous rabbis at that time. I'm not going to pronounce his name, so please don't ask me that. <laughs> Go and Google it. But he studied with one of the most famous rabbis at his time, one of the most famous Pharisees, studying, loving the scripture, passionate about the law of God. That was Saul. He loved it. You see, he loved the scripture so much, he became... He, they earmarked him to be one of the greatest Pharisees or rabbis coming up as a young man. Now, that was Saul. He was so passionate about the law that he started killing Christians because they were without the law. They were chasing the gospel of Jesus. And he was so passionate about that that he would kill to be truthful to the word of God. He killed Christians until he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And it was probably one of the most powerful conversions in the Bible when he met Jesus and the whole story from that, he became Paul. Looking at his background, see, Paul probably would have became the most well-rounded, perfect apostle there is. You see, he had more knowledge about the scriptures than any fisherman disciple had. Think about it. All the other disciples who became apostles were fishermen. They didn't know the scriptures as well as Paul. Studied the scriptures every day. He became, he studied to become a Pharisee and a rabbi. So thinking about Paul having this conversion, here is the man with the perfect package. He's wise in the scriptures and he's preaching the gospel of Jesus. Now, but if you read the Bible books of Paul, you see something different. You see, Paul could speak to anyone. He could debate any Pharisee. And he probably he did, if you go through the, the book of Acts. I love Acts. He walked into any meeting, no matter how big or how um, wise or how important people were, he walked in and he started debating because he knew the Scriptures. He was fearless in everything. But if you read through his book, his couple of books that he read, especially I'm going to look at Corinthians and Thessalonians today, but there's two statements he make that throw I am wise statement out of the door. You see, we want to have time with a wise person. 
We want to sit and, and speak to somebody who's wise, but is that truly something we need to run after? Paul actually said it's not. Now I'm going to give you a backdrop and I'm going to read the story of, of Thessalonians before Paul wrote the book of the Thessalonians. In Acts 17, if you don't understand, you're going to catch it, catch it now. So Acts 17 verse 1 to 8. Okay, Acts 17 verse 1 to 9. It says the following, it's a story, it's nine verses, it's a bit long, but I want to give you a backdrop from where I'm going to start it. So Paul and Silas then traveled through the towns of Amphipolis and came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue service and for three Sabbaths in a row, three weeks, he used the scriptures to reason with the people because he knew the scriptures. He explained the prophecies and proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from, from the dead. He said that Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. Some of the Jews who listened were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with many God-fearing Greek men uh, and, and quite a few prominent women. But some of the Jews were jealous, so they gathered some troublemakers from the marketplace to form a mob and started a riot. They attacked the homes of Jason, searching for Paul and Silas, so they could drag them out to the crowd. Not finding them there, they dragged out Jason and some of the other believers instead, and took them before the city council. Paul and Silas have caused trouble all over the world, they shouted. <laughs> that's, that's quite, of a, that's quite of a, a, something to say. These people have caused, whatever they did, they did it all over the world. I mean, come on. <laughs> that they know how big the world is. And now they are, are here disturbing our city too. And Jason has welcomed them into their home. They are all guilty of treason against Caesar, for they profess allegiance to another king named Jesus. The people of the city as well as the city council were thrown into turmoil by these reports. So now, I mean, the city of Thessalonica were in turmoil. Two men came and they rattled the cage. They came into the Jewish synagogue and they proved them wrong and said, you are preaching law where Christ has set you free. So people got jealous. See what jealousy does? Now there's a reason why I'm going to show you now. Now this is true missionary heroics. Come on, I mean, a riot, people want to kill you, chasing after you. Now the people in Thessalonica and the synagogue, some people asked Paul and Silas to flee to Berea. And in Berea they did the same. It's a city just close to Thessalonica. In Berea they did the same, preaching in the synagogues. But the riot and the mob became so furious they followed them to Berea. And they went to the Jewish leaders and said, these two men did all this in Thessalonica. So they banned them out of Berea as well. Quite an amazing story, isn't it? Life-threatening stuff. Have you ever had people wanting to kill you because of the gospel? People running after you, sweeping up a crowd, coming to take you out. That is what Paul and Silas did. Now later on in the New Testament, Paul actually wrote to the Thessalonian church. And he wrote two phenomenal books to them, short books. But he started out the first book with the following saying, and I love this, you can show this on the... 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 5, he said, for, for when we brought, to you, brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance 
that what we said was true. We see Paul, the one who we know to speak and to debate on the word, who is good, who is clever, who knows wisdom, said that it wasn't my words. What truly convicted you, Thessalonians, was power. You see, the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit confirmed the gospel in, 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 in whatever Paul taught. Paul knew that he didn't have to rely on his theological wisdom, but in a power that the Holy Spirit will come, and a power that, that will come from, from God. And that will bring conviction. I believe Paul did some miracles in Thessalonians that they didn't study. Now if you look at the book of Acts, it didn't say anything about Paul doing miracles in Thessalonians. It's just they went there, he, he debated over the Gospels and the Scriptures for three weeks in the synagogue. But then people became jealous. Why? Anybody can come and debate over Scriptures, but start doing miracles that nobody has seen before. You see, that stirs people up. It really convicts them more than words or wisdom can ever. Amen. See, if you look through all Paul's books in the Bible, this was not the only time he said this. There's a couple of other times. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 4 and 5. And he said here, and I love this, it's probably been one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible for a long time. And still is, he says, and I'm going to read from, from verse, I think 1... Let me, I think it's verse 2. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and, and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. So, just pause there. He said, I came to you in fear and trembling because of the Scriptures, because of the Gospels. I don't just take it for nothing. We're working with powerful stuff here. So I come before you in fear and trembling as sharing this. And then he says, in verse 4, he says, And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That your faith should not be in wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I love that. You see, so many, so many times in our lives we are looking for wisdom from men. We're reading books, we're doing this, we're looking at this, because I want more wisdom in my life, because I want to sound wise when I speak. We as pastors fall onto that trap so many times. I have to read 10 books. John Maxwell says leaders are readers, so I read everything I can get my hands on. But at the end of the day, you can be as wise as you can. It's the power of God. That makes things happen. The demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That is what God said. That is what Paul said. I don't care about all my wisdom. I don't care what I can do. I know I'm wise. And if you go on to verse 6, he says, but for the believers. If you have your Bibles, it's not on there. But he says, but if, if I'm talking to believers, I will use wise words. But if I go to the unsaved, let me show you first the power of God, and then I'll tell you the gospel. I will give you a gospel that I can show you the power. See, Paul demonstrated that, he demonstrated what he taught. 
through a supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. So he didn't just preach doctrine, he lived it. He lived it every day. And he proved it through signs and wonders. Although the scriptures didn't say it. I think there was many more miracles Paul did through Acts that they didn't even say in the book. You see, this is a pattern for all of us when we ministered the gospel to unbelievers. It's a pattern. We need to be hungry to see God's power through our lives. And as the power of God flows through our lives, it touches people around us. Now if we look a bit further into what, in, in 1 Corinthians 4, in the, in the fourth, fourth chapter, there were some in Corinthian church that challenged Paul's authority. In Paul's absence, they were bold to speak against him. Look how Paul challenged them. He says the following in verse 18 to 21. Some of you have become arrogant, thinking, I will not visit you again. But I will come, if the Lord lets me, and then I'll find out whether these arrogant people just give pretentious speeches or whether they really have God's power. For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It is living by God's power. Which do you choose? Should I come with you with a rod to punish you or should I come with love and a gentle spirit? See, Paul was promising to return to Corinth and settle this dispute. Remember Elijah on the mountain with the, with the prophets of Baal? He said to them, come, let's test whose God is real. That's what Paul said. He said, let's do a test to prove your authority. Who's, who's the true apostle in the room? See, those who opposed, opposed Paul would have to demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. He said, when I come back, let's just demonstrate the power of God. Because you talk a good game, now can you demonstrate the power and the true power of God? You see, talk is cheap, but actions are powerful. Now today, if we would discern people's authority by their power instead of their words, don't you think there would be less cults? Because people can say a lot of things and wise things. That's why the scripture says we need to be vigilant. Listen, but look for power. When I come and I listen to someone preaching, ministering, but I usually look for the fruit in their life. Anybody can talk a good game, but do you have the fruit of the power of God, of the mercy of God? I will listen to people, and then I would see how they love people, how they love on people, how would they treat the others around them. If a pastor speak or an evangelist speak, I would see how he speak and handle his volunteers. You see, talk is easy, acting. It's a different thing. See, what Paul realized after his conversion with Jesus on the road to Damascus, he had a powerful encounter, but he realized that the power of wisdom and words can never outweigh the true power of the Holy Spirit. Words and wisdom can be powerful. It can be. It's phenomenal. We live in an information age, and so many people on social media say a lot of things. But when you sit in someone's presence, we really flows in the power of God. It touches your life. Sometimes conviction comes by words, yes. But I truly believe the conviction comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And that's exactly what Paul realized on that road to Damascus. He said, wow, Lord, I've known the scriptures. I've been looking and searching for wisdom and knowledge all my life. I thought this is it. Till I met you, Jesus. And I saw the raw, powerful power of Jesus. Or he probably realized that I can say whatever I want to say. It's the power of God that changes. It's the power of God that comes and transforms. See, it's very interesting when you compare the definitions wisdom and power with each other. Wisdom's definition is the quality of having experience, knowledge and good judgment. The quality of being wise. All about me. I want to be wise. I want to have good judgment. I want to have experience and knowledge. Look, look at power. The capacity or ability to direct or influence the behavior of others. <laughs> you see, wisdom is all about me. How wise I can become. Power actually is about others. It's about others. Now you can use it in different languages. I have power over all these people, so I will move you if I want to. But true power touches people. It touches people. And I read this and I realized, oh my goodness, Lord, we are running after wisdom, after knowledge, and you've set before us power. Why are we running after the thing? Maybe we're missing it. See, we, wisdom brings us back to the focus on us, on me, and power on who can I touch. So how do I make this applicable to us for today? How do we make it applicable for us as Christians and today in our lives and how we go about every day? Can you imagine that what it would be like if you suddenly lost your memory? Think about it. You've got a memory, you know exactly where you are, who's your father, mother, wife, husband, children, where you work. Just think about suddenly losing your memory. Not knowing who you are or where you're from. That would be terrifying, isn't it? Always think about stories with Jason Bourne. Oh, amnesia. J Jason Bourne had things in his life, but he didn't know he had it because he had amnesia. Am I, am I talking to some movie lovers here? Thank you. I was like, I had this like, oh my goodness. Haven't you, haven't you seen Bourne Identity? Or Bourne, what? Bourne Identity, yeah. There's been so many of them. I don't know if it's a primacy or ultimate. It's like five times. Thank you, Stephen. <laughs> but I mean, it's a Jason Bourne situation. Think about it. You wake up next to a beach. You have no idea who you are. It's a terrifying situation. See, there's an enormous security in knowing who we are. And that's the reason why people are so reluctant to change. Because I don't know what to expect. See, we are secure in who we know and very fearful about what we don't know. Now, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says the following. It says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a what? A new person. Something new happened to us. Something new happened to you the day you got saved, when you got salvation, 
when Paul went on the road to Damascus, he met Jesus. There was a powerful conversion from law to freedom. So here he says that, don't you know that you are a new, new person in Christ? Something happened to you. The old life is gone. There is a new life that has begun in your life. Something new started. See, it's also necessary that you know who you have become. We are a new creation in our spirit. When I get saved, I don't curl my hair the other way around. I don't have a shorter nose or bigger ears. I am exactly the same. So what is new? Your spirit's new. Your spirit becomes new the day when you are born again. Now because our spirit is renewed, it also means that our minds have to be re-educated. I grew up Christian, to be honest. But I grew up as a religious Christian. I went to church, Sondag school. I had all my stars. I was, I was there. Then I truly got saved. Powerfully. And I realized that I can't go on like I did. Because I'm not religious anymore. I have experienced freedom in Christ. There was something new. And I knew that the old was gone. There's something new. And that's what, why, why we need to be discipled. Our mind has to be re-educated through the Word, through foundation, through truth in our lives. See, when you get saved, you have something you don't know what you have. It's like a missionary. I read the story about a missionary. He, he were, when he was a young man, he was placed to a missionary station up in the mountains. And there was a car in a missionary house and a school close by. But the only problem with the car is the car couldn't start. There was something wrong. So somebody had to push start him. So I had to walk to the school, get some kids, walk back, push start him, get the car going. And then he always made sure that he parked on a downhill or just had the car running. And for years and years and years that went on, till about one year he got sick and he had to take a long absence um, of the missionary station. And they brought in a young new missionary. And so he took him through everything and they came to the car and said, listen, um, sir, the only issue with this car is it don't start, so you have to do this. And as the guy spoke, the young man opened the hood of the car and he's just like, oh, that's no problem. And he connected a loose wire, got into the car and there the car starts. And the old missionaries looked at him with like unbelief. It's like, how did you do that? So the missionary had something for years and years that he didn't know there was just a loose connection. How many of us as Christians go through our Christian lives without a connection in our minds because we didn't re-educate ourselves on the power we have as Christians? Am I speaking to someone here today? It's like being a millionaire but don't know you have a bank account with millions in it. Think about that wake-up call. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's like we don't like missing things. Eh? If you knew, man, there was this massive sale at the mall yesterday. Everything in the mall. Every single thing was one rand. And you missed it. 
I mean, I would, I would go and sit in a corner and cry. I was like, how did I miss that? The opportunity of a lifetime. But how many of our Christian lives, we, we miss it? But luckily, the sale is, is ongoing. It's all we find out who you really are. You see, looking at the body of Christ, this is the dilemma where we're in. Christians don't know who they are in Christ or in their spirit and the authority that they carry with rights and privileges. So at the moment of salvation, our spirit is made new. Did you know that? Your spirit isn't panel-beated. You get a new spirit. That's why most unbelievers I speak to that get saved, they say the following, I said, Henny, I just felt this void in my heart. I just felt this void. It's like there was something missing. So when you get saved, God comes and fills your spirit with something so brand new. And the great thing about this is your spirit will never have to grow the way your spirit is now. It will be into eternity. So everything you need as a Christian, you have. You have it. We have it. You don't have to learn how to experience God. There's something inherent in your spirit that's already there to know how to connect to the Father. You just need to re-educate how you know it. We need to be discipled. We need to learn how this works. That's why Romans 12 verse 2 says the following. It's not on there. It says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? Renewing of your mind. Then you will prove what's a good, acceptable, and pleasing will of God. See, Paul says, this is Paul, he says, if you know who you are, don't be conformed by the world. Just change the mind. Just change your mind. The way you think. Re-educate the way you know who you are in Christ as a Christian. There is power locked up for you as a Christian. Why don't you use it? There's a sale going on, one rand, everything. You're missing it. See, in our spirits, we are overcomers. And the rest of our Christian life is renewing the soul and the body to the truth. Because our spirit, we have it. You've got it. If you are saved, if you are truly saved, uh, Romans uh, 10 verse 9 says, if you confess with your mouth and believe with your heart, you will be saved. Then your spirit is renewed to such a degree that you can do miracles. You have to pray, lay your hand on the sick, and they have to recover. You have to be able to say to demons out, and they have to go. Because we have the authority in our spirit that you, you can't miss this. But our mind and our, our soul, which is our mind, our will and our emotions, and our body is sinful. And we need to change that. Where does sin come from? From our soul. Our mind, our will and our emotions. That's where we have to fight the good fight, our faith. See, Paul didn't pray in Romans that we would receive something new, but rather that we would renew our mind and prove what we already have. You have it. You have it. 
did you guys hear that? You have it. You can do miracles. You don't have to wait for the man of God or the great evangelist. They're amazing and they flow in the gifts because they have come to a place of a realization that I can flow in these gifts. And they have grown in their Christian life. Their body and their, their, their soulish place have caught up to their spirit. And that's why they can flow in the gifts of the Spirit so much more. As I, as I got saved, I knew I had a gift of prophecy. I had a gift of, to be a pastor, but I had to grow in it. Somebody had to sit with me and teach me how to prophesy. Somebody had to sit with me and say, Henny, you can't do that, you do it like this. This is what the Scripture says. You have to grow in this. It was a process of growth and renewing my mind in what God has given me. See, Paul realized that his wisdom and, gift and, and gifted words could not accomplish what God could do through him or what God called him to do. He knew that if I only use my gift as speech and wisdom and knowledge, I'm going to miss it because I saw the power. I think he went and said, Lord, I need your power. If I go everywhere, I think he was so infused by the power of God that he wanted to go anywhere. I mean, Paul went everywhere, anywhere, spoke to anyone, had riots and mobs chasing him, and he just kept on going. He was two shipwrecks, stoned to death twice. God raised him out of the dead. It sounds like a guy who knows the power of God. If he only relied on his word and wisdom, I mean, first shipwreck, it's like, I'm out of here. Cheers. I'm going to go and find a church. I'm just going to sit here and uh, people can come to me. No. He was infused by the power of God and he couldn't stop going. He wanted to take the power of God to the nations. See, he knew that the only way to live a full life is to surrender to the power of God as it flows through him to others. So every one of us need to trust God to experience and see more of the power of God in our lives so that we can usher in a love conviction to touch a generation. People around you need to experience God's love. They need to. Why? Because you carry it. You carry it. When I got that revelation through Luke, Luke 9, Matthew 10, that says, heal the sick. He didn't say pray for the sick. Heal the sick. I realized, Lord, I'm missing something with my authority in you. I'm missing who I am in you. So I started praying for people. Did I get it right from the first time? Oh, no. First people I prayed for, did they get healed? No. But then suddenly stuff started happening. I started praying for rugby guys, injuries healed, blind eyes opened, deaf ears. I prayed for a guy who was dead in front of me, fell with his mountain bike took him in my arms, started praying, stood up. Was it me? Absolutely not. It was the power of God through me, yes. It was the authority that Christ gave me, yes. I was doing petrol one day here at the BP in town. And I was on my way to Somerset West. I had to get there very urgently. Maybe you've heard this testimony before. And uh, the guy who helped me with my petrol can't remember his name, unfortunately, it was six months ago. It was it John or something? But he was limping around my car as he was trying to, trying to, to, to clean my windows. 
And I opened my window and said, hey, come here. So what's wrong with your foot? I don't know. And he was saying, I couldn't hear. So I said, listen, can I pray for you? So I opened my door in my seat and I just leaned out. And I touched his foot and I said, I just command this foot to be healed. Amen. How do you feel, John? And he looked at me as like, from where are you, bro? Are you, are you okay? And then he stepped on his foot. And he was like, what, what, what did you do to me? I said, I just prayed for you, man. Are you okay? Just feel, go run around the car. So he started running around my car without a limp, without anything. God healed him instantly. You see, what did I do? Did I preach to him wisdom? No, I showed him, help him to experience the power of God. And I can say, John, do you know God? Do you know Jesus? I said, yes, I do. I said, keep on going to church. So I helped him to experience the love of God. That's what Paul did. He had everything that he had. He could speak to anyone. He could debate anything. But he first he came in and he showed the power of God. He showed the love of the Father. Then people came running. If you went to Thessalonians, if you go back to that scripture, Thessalonians 1, I just want to show you something. This is what I love about Thessalonians. It says, no, sorry. Go to Acts. I'm sorry. Acts, Acts. There we go. One more. Um, there we go. But some of the Jews were jealous. But look at some of the Jews who listened were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with many God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent women. Come on, women. Greeks, unsaved. They saw the power of God. They weren't religious like the Jews. And they followed because they were experiencing more of God. That's what happened in Acts. The power of God hit people to such a degree that they wanted more. See, we can do church till we are blue in our face. It's only the power of God that really can change people and advance His kingdom. That's why we as a church, we trust God to experience more of Him. We trust God to experience more of Him to every degree when we worship, when we play, when we have coffee, when we have connect group. Whenever we do, we need to experience more of Him. But it starts out with, I want to have more of that. Like the young men who came to the wise men. It's like, I want knowledge. How can you give me knowledge? See, with that drive in us, we need to come to God and say, Lord, I want to experience more of you. When I open my Bible in the morning, when I pray, Lord, I don't want this just to be a religious something I do every day, but I want to experience you. If I need peace, I want to experience peace in that moment. When I'm going through a tough time or a challenging time, I want to experience you in that moment, Father. You see, when you get honest with God, it's where your heart really shows. Have you been honest with the Father in your quiet time? See, we can't get stuck to the religious way of thinking of, this is just what we do on the Sunday. I go to church, I read my Bible every now and then, I pray occasionally. Great, awesome, wonderful. It's so important to do that. All of those things, but there need to be an encounter and an experience with the Father. Otherwise, we are missing the sale. 
And you don't want to do that. We, want to go, we, we don't want to go through Christian life coming to heaven one day and yes, you'll go to heaven finding out that I had on earth all these amazing privileges and power and I'm in heaven I never used it. It's coming on your deathbed realizing you've been a billionaire all your life. That would be a bummer. We need to live for Christ, but live from a place where we experience Him, experience His power, but not only that, but show His love and His power to others around us. We need to challenge ourselves with that every day. Won't you stand with me? I'm going to pray for us.